choosing to have a victorious mindset in life is a decision we all have to make to be aware of the version of our lives which define our most vigorous level of success. And the great thing about life is that description is different and vibrant for all of us. The direction that we choose to take it is ours to discover. Because you see, maximizing your fullest level of potential starts with maximizing the optimization of your thinking and doing it with a clear mind, free of any stress, and developing a sense of psychological safety which allows you to thrive. For Nicholas Cash's Clay, he's focused on teaching mindfulness to busy professionals so that they can maximize their fullest level of personal and professional potential. For his clients, most experience clarity in the areas of confidence, mental clarity, and self-expression. Prioritizing mindfulness is something we all have to make a conscious decision to do, which is why I was delighted to engage in conversation with Clay about his own journey to find and discover mental, emotional, and psychological safety and clarity, how he uses mindfulness to help educate people in all aspects of life and how his background in finance and love of sports played a role in the person he is today. It was a wide-ranging conversation that touched upon many topics of interest and thoughtful discussion. Thus, I'm eager and pleased to share it now with all of you. So without further delay, I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Great to see you, Kevin. Happy to be here. Absolutely. No. Nick, I know that you coach on mindfulness and you help people sort of reach their full potential by really helping them dig deep into learn exactly who they are, my friend. So tell me about the great work that you do and why it's so important to you, my friend. Yeah, so the work I do, as you said, 
I'm teaching people how to process stored energy within their system. So these are from past wounds, traumas that we may experience, helping people free up their energy, allowing people to have an easier time being present, or also known as being in a flow state, which gives a, a host of benefits uh, that come with that uh, outside of just we feel a lot better. It feels nicer to have that peace and calmness of mind. And, you know, like most entrepreneurs, it started from my own personal journey. I didn't, I didn't set out into this, uh, into this path to become a coach. It was something that slowly started to unfold, just in how differently I started looking at the world and life and myself. It started with a personal journey of transformation of self improvement, and ultimately of healing, when I started to discover uh, methodologies and techniques that allowed me to remove triggers and frustrations and anger out of my system indefinitely, which felt really good. So as I first started experiencing that process, I became curious on how much more was possible. And then today, I'm about five years into my own personal journey, uh, I've cleared just about, well, I, I can say that I've cleared everything that I'm consciously aware of within my mind that once uh, bothered me or that I had anger towards or shame or any of these lower state of minds. And at this point, I keep my mind open for discovery of what may pop out of my unconscious because I've also in recent months have healed certain uh, memories that I didn't even know were there that bothered me that just randomly will will pop into my my conscious awareness. So that's a little bit about what I do and and what inspires me. Yeah, and to that point, just building on that, I'm curious. How do you think self expression and, and vulnerability are interconnected? Yeah, could you repeat the the question one more time? Yeah, I was just curious to ask you how you thought uh, self expression and vulnerability are interconnected? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So how self-expression and vulnerability are interconnected? Yeah, that's the question, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see if I can, hopefully I can answer it as directly as possible. It, it takes vulnerability to build connection with self, with our own self. So not only does it allow two humans to connect intimately to one another, it also vulnerability is what allows ourselves to connect with ourselves. And then the byproduct of that deeper connection gives us a authentic expression of self. So we can say they're connected in that way. Our, our self-expression becomes more natural. Uh, it, it becomes more authentic, the more vulnerable we are with ourselves. And then that also builds confidence and self-esteem because the deeper that we have an understanding of self, the more power we have of ourself and the less we're influenced by the opinions of others. Indeed, and you know, Nick, I'm curious to ask you, what, is it, what do you think it means to be present in all aspects of life? What do you think it means to live an authentically meaningful life? Yeah, so the first part, what does it mean to be present in all aspects of life? It's understanding that the only thing that is ever happening and that's ever real is right now. And it's always now. And now within our internal state, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, 
now in our external state of what we're what we're seeing through our, our senses or, or what we're sensing through our senses, whether it's seeing, feeling, touching, uh, uh, you know, hearing and, you know, the, the rest there. And then the second part of your question was, what was it to, to live a meaningful life? That's the second part. Yeah. What does it mean to you to live a meaningful life? Yeah. So I will say that what it means to me, I would not characterize as the universal truth. I think uh, the meaning that we create for ourselves is inherently subjective. I think what it means for me and what would also feel uh, similar for a lot of people is the purpose we create for ourselves. If, if any one of us is living through what we feel is purposeful, which I also think a lot of times comes down to a passion, living through our passion, then we'll find that our life has has meaning. Uh, and, I, and a little more to that is, I f it seems that the more that we're able to live a life that connects to other humans uh, inherently creates more meaning. We, we tend to mean more the more lives that we can be a part of. And if we look at the extreme opposite, you know, if you had a person that was living in solitude in their their home space and never connected to any other person in the world, I think that that person wouldn't feel much meaning for themselves. Our, our world is developed through the interactions with other people. So uh, to recharacterize that, I think living a meaningful life comes from living throughout a passion uh, and through how that passion can connect with other people. Indeed. And, you know, Nick, I'm curious to also ask you about the concept of inclusion, because, you know, uh, but I don't know how much research you did on me, but I was born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy. It's one of uh, the most severe forms of cerebral palsy uh, that you can be diagnosed with. But I live my life through the uh, saying that inclusion is the gateway to independence. So I'm curious, how important is it to you to build sort of an inclusive community where all opinions matter? Yeah, how, how important is it? I never looked at it as importance, uh, at least from what I've practiced consciously. It's, it's interesting because inclusion is a natural byproduct of being in our higher states of mind. So uh, a, a little snapshot of when we're in our higher mind, it's a, it's a higher shift towards us and awareness, and it's a lower sense of, of judgment and separation. So inclusion almost becomes a, a silly thing to even have to focus on because naturally as we, as we vibrate higher, there's a unity. So, so there's less separation between you and I. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and just one follow-up to that point. In terms of building uh, what I call uh, social capital, where, where in a community of like-minded people, how important do you place uh, on building social capital and connection with other people? I think that's, that's the utmost importance. Uh, us having synergy with one another, uh, working with one another, appreciating each other's mindsets as something to learn from and not something to defend ourselves from, I think is the essence of how we 
we grow as a society. And if we, if we don't accomplish that, I think we'll see a regression in our society uh, because ultimately it's in our hands. You know, we, we create the world that we're in and there's no overarching person or, or thing or something that's going to step in that way. So it's up to us to either work together and build ourselves with ourselves or it's going to be our downfall, in my opinion, for us to, you know, as they say, what's the old adage in, in war, divide and conquer. Well, if we if we divide ourselves too much, well, then we're, we're going to be conquered by ourselves, a set of thriving in unity. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, I know that you used to work in finance and you know, helping people invest and, and you learned that some people had fear and investing in the market and you wanted to help people uh, through their fear and understand it clearer. So tell me uh, why it led you to studying how humans uh, work, my friend, because I know it was a catalyst for you as well. Yeah. So it, you know, whenever that comes up, I can't, I can't help except think of this one appointment that I just, just stay so vivid in my mind for whatever reason. And I remember sitting at the table with this person going over financial education. And I just started learning about mindsets, rich mindsets, poor mindsets, and, and I started getting into self-development a little bit. And I could see that the information I was presenting would 100% benefit, not even me, myself, just if this person worked with someone, didn't have to be me, that they would be benefiting. And by understanding the stats and how many people are not set up for the future, I saw the likelihood of what would happen if this person didn't work with somebody and essentially they would die punching a clock. They would never have that availability to to establish something on the on the back end. And it was it was confusing to me to see how somebody could walk away from something. And what I noticed was this fear, just just fear of, of doing anything. Uh, so they didn't end up working with me. And if I were to make a guess, I would say they never work, end up working with anyone. And that stuck with me for a while. And I thought to myself, well, if this is how most people are approaching financial investing, if they're held back by this fear, then I'm not going to be able to be a successful financial advisor if I can't understand what this fear is. So that led my interest to understanding more about the human condition, ultimately, because I wanted to, to help people. Uh, you know, wealth isn't something that just falls out of the sky for 99.9% .9 of us. It, it, it's, there takes a, a conscious action and effort to, to accumulate uh, wealth for either one generation or, or multiple. And that started opening the path for me to want to dig deeper into uh, how we how we operate, which, you know, then grew much, much greater than I ever anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Rick, I'm curious to ask you about your uh, definition of personal accountability. And what does it mean to you to be personally accountable? That's a great question. To be personally accountable is to take responsibility for your actions and for what you say and, and what you say you're going to do. And regardless if 
you make a mistake or, you know, it's something by accident or you hurt someone and you didn't mean to. It's always, it's always having the focal point back on empowering yourself and not ever blaming somebody else for your involvement and what you did or didn't do or said or didn't say. It's, it's really always looking inward, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, uh, Nick, I'm also uh, fascinated to ask you, what does it mean to live an enriching life, life where, you really, where you really pay it forward? So what, what does it mean to you to live uh, your life with enrichment as well? Yeah, from everything I've seen, read, studied, and practiced, it comes from servitude, uh, serving others. Uh, when you when you can when you can serve and support others, that will generally, if not always, come from an abundance mindset. Uh, it's the difference between so say you have a, a cup of water and someone next to you is thirsty. Well, scarcity mindset, or let's say a, a, a less enriching mindset would hold on to this cup of water because it's mine and I need it and I'm thirsty and I got to drink it all as opposed to how it feels to be able to share a portion of that water with the person next to you. Uh, I would say that's an enriching life when you have the opportunity to, to give. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about uh, paying it forward, my friend. And I know that you have a goal to leave the world in a more progressive state than when you entered it through mindfulness and uh, financial education. Just tell me about your why in life and why it's so important to you. Yeah, my why in life. I'm not even sure if I have a specific why in life. What I do know of myself as far back as I look, which other memories tend to pop out, I've always enjoyed supporting people. I've always enjoyed helping people and being a part of people's happiness and having a good time and laughter. And, you know, there, there was this time that I was driving by a hospital and I was probably, I don't know, around five or six years old. I don't even know where my mom and I were going. And I remember thinking about people just in general and and I also grew up visiting my great grandmother who had uh, Alzheimer's. And so I spent a lot, a lot of time in the hospital with my grandmother. So visiting her mother uh, many times a week. And I had this empathy from people at an early, at a early uh, stage of, of being in hospitals. You see how, how many ailments people go through. And I remember, I remember making this wish to the universe or you know whatever and i remember having this childlike wish that I, I wish i could heal people and i and i and i remember thinking to myself if i could get the power to heal people i would charge just enough so that i could live my life and not so much that i was being greedy and trying to capitalize on this gift and now fast forward you know say 30 years the irony of what i do today is having this seemingly ability to help guide and support people to healing their minds. So what my why is in life, I don't know if it's so much a why or just a wish that a child made from an inspiring place that in some way came true, I guess. And I'm doing my best today to live that out. And I would love nothing more 
than to continuously be successful and grow in what I do so that I can continue to do it for the next 40 or so years. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Nick, one of the reasons I, I, I was so excited to talk to you today, buddy, was because I'm an old sports reporter, and I know that athletics played a big part of your development and uh, philosophy in life. So tell me about the impact that sports has had on your life and why it's so important to you. Why do you love sports so much? Talk much about sports nowadays. Yeah, it was a big part of my life, and I don't even think about it often, how much it played. So I grew up, uh, like, you know, many, anyone really, I'd say 30 or older, where we didn't have as much technology. So we actually played outside a lot. And, you know, I would carry a basketball everywhere. So I loved the game of basketball. And I grew up playing it as much as I possibly could. And some of my most euphoric moments I ever experienced, uh, even well before self-development, was on the basketball court. Just, just wanting to be as good as I can be. For myself and using other people as inspiration so i would say the, the 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 role that it played was yeah you know I'm, I'm just thinking about it newly really for the first time uh sports similar to music provided this this joyful uh experience that that just feels good i just enjoyed the game for the game. I don't I don't really know much why. I think because it allowed me to express myself freely. Uh it allowed me to continuously learn and grow. Uh every game's a new game. It, they all have their uniquenesses and I just enjoyed just enjoyed playing. Uh so many highs I would get on the court. There were times where I I had just the utmost presence where nothing else in the world existed except the game I was in, uh, it gives you a it gives you a positive place to be and express yourself. Uh, and when you have that in life, I think it, it supports us from not uh, not falling victim to boredom and and what other activities that are less progressive can come out of that. So, yeah, it kept me it kept me occupied in in a positive way. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And- you know, Nick, I want to go back to something you said earlier about passion and purpose because I think it's uh, incredibly important for people to discover what they're passionate about because I strongly, strongly believe if you find what you're passionate about in life, that's your best way to maximize a sort of your impact on other people and on your own life. So tell me about the importance of passion and why people should uh, spend so much t- uh, time sort of discovering what they're passionate about in life because it's important, isn't it? It is. And I'm going to offer you uh, one coaching tip just in how you spoke that can, I think, would benefit people uh, listening as well. So you, you asked me why should people spend time on their passion. So this is a little tool that I use with communication is I. Uh, I, I would remove the word should because that imposes a judgment and I would replace it with could or or why would it be beneficial for people to focus on their passion? Because, you know, people don't necessarily have to. And so if you accept that that edit, uh, why would it be beneficial or why could, you know, why, why would it help for people to focus on it? 
it's, you know, they say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And so being an entrepreneur was not ever something I, I planned to be. And it's still something today where, where I think I'm still taking that in to, to see myself as that. And the irony is I found myself, especially this year, I, I put in more work uh, with the various things that I do than I ever did punching a clock. Yeah, it really doesn't feel like work for me. I, I enjoy what I do. I enjoy having these conversations. What lights me up more than anything is when I'm in a coaching session and able to make breakthroughs with with clients. I absolutely love that. I love seeing the smiles on their faces. I love seeing, you know, the tears because we, we got to a sensitive root because I know that after the tears is going to come a space within themselves that that has been held up for, you know, who knows how long. Uh, so the benefit when we find our passion, you, you we're able to do more in life without the resistance or without the, the drain or without feeling like we're doing work. Uh, something I was coached on not too long ago when I was saying a statement of, I have so much to do. I do so much. And the response back was, well, instead of doing so much, what if what you're, what, what was Instead of doing so much, what if what was happening is that you're creating? And so I wrote on this sticky note, instead of I do a lot, it was I create a lot. And so when you find your, your passion, when we are able to discover what we're passionate about, we're no longer doing something, we're creating something. And there's plenty of examples of if you take a car enthusiast who has a garage in the back and they're building or remodeling a car, they're not doing something, they're creating a, a piece of art for themselves that they can enjoy or maybe their children can enjoy. Uh, if you look at anyone who is who is involved in their passion, there's a creation that's that's being done, not a not a doing. And and if we think the semantics don't matter, then I invite everyone to try that on and you'll see that words have have a, a true power to them and, and different words vibrate at different different frequencies. And if you just take on altering the way we communicate on certain things, you'll we'll begin to feel the difference in that. Uh, and I'm not sure if I got a little off if, if that if that answers your question. It certainly does, my friend. And just uh, following up on that, you know, you know I think of just talking to you for the short time that I've had the privilege of doing that. You know, getting clarity comes in different forms for different people. So I'm wondering, for you specifically in the work that you do surrounding mindfulness and financial education, what uh, would you define as really developing clarity in your own life and for the clients you serve, what do you think it means to develop and define clarity in your own life? Developing clarity, I would say, comes from a practice of pure awareness, which uh, we call in our conscious models enlightenment. And so enlightenment is objective observation void of judgment, pure awareness. It's what we come out into the world as newborns. We're, we're purely aware. And that's a clarity to see reality of how it is, not how we judge it to be. And I'll give you a tangible analogy that people can also take on that may be uh, more practical to understand. If you're, if you're driving a car and you have a brand new windshield that you're seeing through 
you can consider that enlightenment, having the purest view of what is. And then if you imagine that every thought that you have, every judgment in your mind is a speck of dirt that gets splattered onto the windshield. Well, that's what happens in the world when we start creating these judgments and, and these perspectives and, and these uh, ways we think things are supposed to be. And so clarity is a lack of that. And then from that clarity, it goes back to our ability to create how we would like our life to be. And so something that I, I uh, stand by is that there's no quote unquote right way to live life. There's beneficial ways and less beneficial ways we can live life to impose a, a right way brings a, a severe judgment on life itself. And so what I have found is that a healthy mind never chooses to harm itself. And so if we're coming from a healthy and clear space, then we're going to create something that's unique from us that we're going to feel happy about. And after that, you know, we can let the world judge on how that looks. For each individual person doing that, though, they're going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Nick, you, you sparked my uh, uh, interest to ask you this question in terms of finding clarity and finding what it, what it means to be successful in life. So how do you, if I give you, say, a million dollars to write and produce a commercial on uh, developing a roadmap to sort of happiness and success, how do you think adventure would, would sort of intersect in, in creating a roadmap to success. So what's your road, roadmap for creating success in life, in your opinion? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It comes down to, well, the first thing would be how we define success. And the first time I asked that question, and I think I still, I still hold that same definition today, I looked at success as, as having a continuous growth and development through life. That's how I see success. Uh, and that gets tricky because there's some people that put a emphasis on monetary value on success. And so it, it, it really comes down to each person, how they see success in their life. I can ensure anyone watching as, as we develop more consciously, the idea of success becomes less uh, physical less monetary, less materialistic, I, I, I can promise you that. So, the, you know, one is the state of mind we're coming from. The second thing is what success looks like. And you talked about happiness. Happiness, that's, that's clearly been, at this point, it seems clearly nailed down. And what I refer to often as the Harvard study on human happiness is that they found that the, uh, so this was a study I think it was started in 1938. It just talked about this too. 1938 or 1943 are the two dates that jump out at me. And it concluded in 2015. Uh, it started with around, and there's different reports now. Studies sourced multiple times. The report I read is it started somewhere around 243 or 60 people, and it ended with around 1,000 people. And they found that the number one contributor to human happiness was the quality of relationships people have in their lives. And so I take a heavy emphasis on the quality of connection I have with each and every person around me, whether it's friend, family, acquaintance, associate, whatever it have. 
Uh, and happiness is also something that we choose uh, and that we can create within ourselves. So happiness is in comparison to success a little easier uh, to, to create in our life. And then a roadmap to success, I would say, is to one, define it for yourself and get clear on what success looks like for you. And then the second thing is to be open-minded, to learn and be inspired by others who are further along in that journey of what you want for yourself. So for example, if success is having a family and having that significant other and, and three kids, let's say, and a house and two cars, well, then you can learn a lot from following someone or befriending someone that has that significant other a house, two cars and three kids, and then learn from that person. How did that come about? How did you meet this person? Uh, what do you do for work? How did you afford this house? You know, learn from people that have already traveled this path because we're all doing the same thing. And, and, and you know, I would say the downfall is when we try to reinvent the wheel. You know, we all have our unique story on how life looks. However, the experience is all the same. So if somebody's already accomplished something, learn from that person. And then you we still have the opportunity to put our own spin on it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Nick, in the few minutes I have left with you, I'm fascinated to ask you about finding your inner center in life. Because, you, you know, I'm always uh, a conscious for myself, anyway, to take about five to ten minutes a day to, to really define what I'm grateful for in life. And finding my inner center and what really uh makes me connect with myself so what do you think is the key to connecting with ourselves because it's important to really really connect 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 personally with ourselves in order to serve other people so what do you think it means to find your inner center in life yeah one is I think it helps to remember where we come from. And I don't mean our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents. I mean, if we look back tens of thousands of years, remember where humans come from. Talked about gratitude. I'm grateful every morning that I can brew a cup of coffee in my apartment. You go back a thousand years and you couldn't do that. I, you know, indoor plumbing is a marvel, electricity, the fact that I can control a thermostat, all these things are luxuries that humans have not had for a, for a long time. So gratitude becomes really easy when we remember where we come from. And again, I mean that as a species. And then how do we connect with our inner self? It's facing ourselves. It's not being afraid of ourselves. It's being, it's being authentic. It's, it's, it's being honest with ourselves. And it goes back to clearing and removing the judgment we have on ourselves. And we can use that remembrance of where we came from in our personal life. Remember who we were before the world told us who we should be. Remember that infant that came out of the womb that carried no judgments, that held no opinions, that, that couldn't conceive of what other people were thinking of it before we even recognized our own name, our own gender, our own ethnic background. That's the that's the purity of 
of ourself. And then as life happened, we started developing this character. And that that self never leaves. It's 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 a fool's thought to think that 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 self ever gets destroyed. So if you want to find that center, it's going back to the purity, to the light in which we entered the world. And when you can grasp that again, that's what allows our our innermost brightest self to to shine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nick, my final question for you this morning has to do with your own personal and professional legacy and how you want that to be defined. My own personal and professional legacy? Yeah. I don't think about much my legacy because the truth is after a generation or two, most people are forgotten. If not, you know, everyone's forgotten after X amount of time. Uh, so I don't. I don't think much about my legacy. I don't think much about how people are thinking of me when I'm gone. What I would like to attribute to is that, you know, when I leave this world, what I created has some ripple effect that carries on uh, and, and that the practice of mindfulness is continuing in our world. In my opinion, I, th I see it as the next evolution of, of our species and, and, and I look at myself first and foremost as a student of mindfulness, secondly, as an advocate, and third, as a business person. So I don't, there's nothing about self, there's nothing about Nicholas Clay that I care about a legacy about. If anything, the only legacy I would care to, to have sustaining on this, on this earth after I'm gone is the legacy of mindfulness and what it what it means and how it can benefit humans in general uh and if we can continue practicing and understanding these these higher states of of mind then that to me is how our species develops a prosperous way of of cohabitating with with one another and if not nothing wrong we'll just continue to do what we've always done Generation by generation, error after error, we'll just, you know, keep having more of what we have now. Absolutely. And finally, tell me if people want to get connected with you, my friend. What's the best way they can do that? The best way is social media. Uh, so whether it's LinkedIn, my professional page, so Nicholas Cassius Clay, or Being One World. So whether it's on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, you can find those. Uh, my personal and the business page there. And you can also go directly to the website, which is beingoneworld.com. And then there is a, a connect. You can you can send out an email there. And those are the two the two best ways to find me. Well, fabulous, Nick. I have to tell you, this was a fascinating, fascinating way to start my week, to have a conversation about mindfulness and connect connecting with oneself, my friend. I want to thank you uh, for your work in the space and for engaging in conversation with me this morning. It's most appreciated. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Kevin. It was a pleasure to be on your podcast, and I appreciate you reaching out, and I hope that we can connect further in the future.